The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grosso. Tonight on Fast, the Biden bounce. Stocks roar to record highs as Joe Biden takes office. So we are breaking out our presidential portfolios. Each trader has a three names they are betting on under this new administration. Plus, we are drilling down on the energy trade. One top analyst is making the bull case for big oil under Biden. He'll tell us why. And later, Baba goes gaga. We'll tell you about the $38 billion move, all thanks to a single piece of video. We start off with an historic day in Washington. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. Joe Biden sworn in as the 46th president of the United States of America. And he's got a lot to tackle in his first 100 days. Let's get to Kayla Tausche live in Washington with what is on the agenda and what investors need to watch. Kayla. Melissa, after a solemn and serious morning, a celebratory, if truncated, parade to the White House, President Biden is now settling in for the work of governing, installing interim heads at critical agencies awaiting Senate-confirmed leaders, freezing regulations that have not yet taken effect, and readying his pen to sign executive orders rolling back Trump-era policies. We're told there will be 15 in total and expect to see three of those signed this hour. A requirement for face masks and distancing on federal property, rejoining the Paris climate accord and an effort to embed racial equity in agency policymaking. Others signed later will rescind permits for the Keystone Pipeline and drilling on federal lands, stopping construction on the border wall and reversing the travel ban for Muslim-majority countries. As for legislation, a comprehensive immigration proposal stands as the administration's placeholder for its priorities on that issue, but the COVID relief package, that first $1.9 trillion so-called rescue plan, followed by a forthcoming larger recovery plan the White House plans to unveil in February, those will be top billing on Capitol Hill. The energy moves that we just mentioned, they've already stirred critics in Congress. Several senators saying those will kill jobs. In response, Biden's climate czar Gina McCarthy said that Biden has a strong commitment to the labor community. He'll express that commitment and make good on it in the next week with promises for good-paying jobs, union jobs, clean energy jobs. Now, as for whether some of those actions will erode political capital, which is usually at its highest at the beginning of a presidency. Delaware Senator Chris Coons told me earlier today he believes that Biden can grow goodwill on both sides of the aisle by first getting the pandemic in check. Melissa. All right. Thank you very much. Kayla Tausche in Washington. We'll trade the markets in just a moment. But first, we want to get to shares of United, which are falling in the after hour session on the release of its earnings report. Shares are down 2 percent. Let's get to Phil Lebeau with the details. Phil. 
Melissa, let's talk about the numbers for the fourth quarter. We knew it would be ugly as it is for all the airlines. United missing on both the top and the bottom line. A loss of $7 a share. The estimate was for a loss of $6.60. A little bit of pricing on jet fuel as well as weakness due to COVID-19. Factoring into that uh, wider than expected loss per share. Revenue a little weaker than expected. And then when you look at their daily cash burn coming in, a total daily cash burn, $33 million a day, roughly in line with expectations. Core cash burn, when you strip out debt payments and severance, coming in at $20 million a day. The guidance, it's not going to be good for the first quarter. You're going to see revenue down 65 to 70%, capacity down more than 50%. And then there are three key points about what United sees for its outlook that's going to get a lot of attention. First of all, the company is giving no specific date in 2021 when it expects to be cash flow break even. They do believe that it will likely happen sometime mid-year, but all of this depends on vaccination rollout and COVID-19. If vaccination comes quicker and the COVID rate starts to fall, you could see it coming even sooner than mid-year. But there's no specific date attached to this. However, they also say that the advanced bookings, what they are seeing in terms of booking beyond this summer is improving. That's a sign that they believe that there is a lot of pent-up demand and people want to start uh, planning trips for later this year. And finally, they are setting a target of getting back to 2019 EBITDA margins. So the margin rate of 15.7% that they had in 2019, a target of getting to there by 2023. So that's the guidance from United. You do not want to miss our exclusive interview coming up tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. 8 a.m. Eastern Time, we'll talk with Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines, not just about the fourth quarter, but more importantly, guys, about this uh, outlook for the rest of this year and their belief that they do think that there's going to be some pent-up demand and -hmm. it'll come back rather quickly when it comes back, likely later this year. Until then, Phil, it could be a long slog. And it looks from the release like they they still are going through $33 million a day in cash burn. So how much money do they have? How much money are they generating or losing a per day well their 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 total debt right now in terms of where they stand 24.8 billion dollars and that's an increase compared to 13 billion uh which it was in the fourth quarter of 2019 their liquidity 20 billion dollars so they've got money on hand in terms of yeah you don't want to be burning through 33 million dollars a day but they knew that that was their guidance for the first quarter so that part of the uh, the numbers is not a surprise. It's not as if there's somebody looking at this saying, whoa, way higher than I expected. They said they would be between 33 and $35 million a day in terms of cash burn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that was the reason for the initial tick lower in terms of how the stock reacted. All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau, he'll keep us posted on the conference call as well, which uh, kicks off later this hour. Meantime, shares of United are down by eight-tenths of a percent at this point, so bouncing off the uh, after-hour session lows so far. Tim, just quickly, what do you make of this quarter? I don't think we expected anything else. And, and, and the, the only difference here is that Delta's out in front saying they mentioned spring break-even. Uh, and you know, to the extent that United is going to be less committal, uh, I, I think third quarter is probably realistic. And I think the way the market is treating the airlines right now is less on fundamentals than this is still a recovery trade. I think it's less about free cash flow uh, and, and ultimately cash on the balance sheet uh, where, where it, it should be and where I think we will be by the fourth quarter. Therefore, these trades, 
uh, I think, are trades that continue to have some room. Remember uh, what I've pointed out, and I think a few of the best analysts out there, like Hunter K. Wolf, um, these, some of the big airlines, the big four, are, are trading essentially net of all equity issuance at about 101, 102% of where their former earnings profile was. Do you really want to be investing in them on fundamentals? Probably not. Um, but I think there's more to do on this trade. And follow the 50-day for United. That, that really has been where the stock is held, and I think it will hold here. And if you break down the trade in that way, Tim, it may not look like um, they're a place of value, Grosso, but at the same time, they are extremely leveraged to any sign of a bounce back. And if the vaccine rollout really gets underway, as President Biden uh, vows to do, this is a group that could really see a snapback. I think all the airlines are a buy. If you look at all the charts, going back, to your point exactly, going back to November, they've all been building a base. And if you're worried about cash burn, like we see on the headlines uh, today with United, Melissa, then you got to go with the best balance sheets that went into this. Delta, Southwest. Those are the names you want to buy. Those are the names you want to invest in. But I think as a whole, uh, Phil touched on something, uh, uh, advanced bookings. When people start to see the vaccine roll out, they're go- you can't wait until the vaccine is out and your whole family has gotten it and it's June or it's, it's uh, September to book a date. They're going to be taken. There's going to be nothing available. You have to advance book. As long as most of these airlines are doing the full refund or they're giving you credit, there's limited risk. And I think that's where you're going to see these names really start to skyrocket. All right. United shares are down a percent right now. Again, the conference call will kick off. We'll keep you posted on any developments there. In the meantime, let's get back to today's massive rally on Wall Street. All three major indices posting new record closes. So the question here is, Guy, is this optimism surrounding a new Biden administration or is this simply the snapback uh, of, of mega cap technology? We saw the Nasdaq really outperform with the major three, helped by that monster move in shares of Netflix. It's amazing. It's, it's a continuation of a theme. Obviously, it's been derailed here and there. Steve can speak to the, you know, if, if the transfer from growth to value is going to continue or if it's just sort of a hiccup today, we'll see. But what I will say is, you know, I just think it's a continuation of what we've seen. Say what you want, but when President Trump took office four years ago, he said the report card for his administration is going to be the stock market. And through that metric or that lens, I mean, when he when he gave up office at basically noon today, stock market's trading at an all-time high. So under those parameters, it was a huge success. The problem, of course, is the chasm between the real economy and the stock market, in my opinion, has never been wider. What continues to work, and I know Karen can speak to this, it's her biggest position, and we've talked about this stock a number of times over the last year, is Google Alphabet made an all-time high today, traded, I think, within a whisper of $1,900 uh, which probably is justified. They're coming off, coming off an earnings release last quarter, which was historic by any metric. I would submit that with probably 20% EPS growth, it's still cheap here. So there are themes that worked uh, in the past administration. I think those same things, themes will work under the Biden administration. One day does not break or make a trend, but at the same time, Karen, today was definitely a day for mega cap technology. So what did you make of that move given uh, the day's historic significance? Well, I think it was a, a two-day trend, but I get your point. It doesn't make a trend yesterday and today. I think, you know, for me, last week when Facebook was trading down, I really thought, all right, it's interesting value, but I'm afraid of some sort of 
you know, surprise, some uh, curveball from the Trump administration in the final days that would really be negative for Alphabet, Facebook, uh, and others. And that didn't happen. So I think that's part of what went into. It was a bit of a relief rally. And then I think uh, yesterday, or I don't know, it was yesterday or today, J.P. Morgan piece. And if you, as Guy said, if you look at it just purely on an earnings basis and you back out the cash, and obviously we know they have an enormous stockpile of cash, one of the biggest in the world ever, uh, if you back that out, it's not trading at a crazy multiple at all, especially given the growth that is there. So it is my biggest position. I I'm staying with it. Um, I mean, it's fun that it moved up that much. I don't exactly know why. The next thing we'll see is earnings. And I'm optimistic that the earnings at the end of the month, I think maybe the 29th is uh, um, alphabet earnings. I'm optimistic they'll put up a huge quarter. The question is, does it run up too much in front of it like the banks did? By the way, I just want to uh, correct myself. United's conference call is tomorrow morning. So thank you to Phil Lebeau's producer for pointing that out. Tomorrow morning is United's call. We'll still keep an eye on, on the stock in the after-hour session. Um, Steve Grasso, can we still have growth and value continue higher at the same time? Yeah, I, I think what, what happens is uh, you mentioned Netflix and then there's Tesla. You know, all, all these different moves. If you ask the average person what Netflix is, they know. If you ask them what, what a name that I've been in that's up dramatically 130% in the last three months, Trinseo, nobody knows the symbol, no one knows what they do, no one knows the stock. So human nature is you go back to what you know, and it's only a handful of names, right? Those top tech names, six, and people com you know, uh, complain and say, no, it's more than six names. Great, it's 30 names, but everyone knows those names. So we are in the early innings of growth to value, Growth has outperformed value for about 15 years with maybe a blip here, maybe a blip there. But when you start to see rates increase, Melissa, it doesn't matter what stock you know, there'll be a re-rating and it will wind up hurting the tech plays and helping the value plays. So yes, I believe they can move higher. Unless you think rates are capped. Uh, Tim, I don't know where you stand on that, but where do you stand on, on what we've seen for the past couple of days in terms of the trends in the market? Well, the trends in the market around rates have been that I think people got a little worked up that rates were going to move too quickly. And, and I think rates are going to go higher. And I, I'm out there saying I think 140 on the 10-year or normalized pre-COVID level. I'm not even sure that's normalized, but, but that, that, that's a level that we, we kind of came cascading into this um, is fine for the equity market. I think the dollar also getting a little bit of a bounce, uh, but that the trend stays intact here, even for those people that say this is too crowded of a trade. Uh, look at semiconductors. For all the people who want to call tech dead, semiconductors are outperforming the S&P by 10% year to date. I mean, these monstrous moves, and it's not just Taiwan Semi. Um, so uh, you know, that shows a lot of cyclicality, shows a lot of growth. And I think that the FANG trade was easy to beat up on for, Karen pointed out some of the reasons, some regulatory headwinds. I, I think the, the sexiness of the IPO market in the fourth quarter, there was a lot of funding out of FANG into those names. Um, I, I, I just think we've been talking about FANG being dead and big mega cap tech being dead since the first time we saw real rotation in mid-May. We've had so many of these, and I, I think it's just the good news for the market is that the breadth continues. And every time there's this rotation into cyclicals and call it value, um, you know, FANG gets left for dead. Come on. Uh, I'll, those guys already emphasize why these valuations, at least uh, in Google, Facebook and, 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 you know, people can make arguments on Amazon and Microsoft for sure. Um, I, you know, I think we continue to have the same market. 
All right. Our next guest expects the Biden administration to give stocks an even bigger bounce this year. Let's bring in Lori Calvacina, RBC's head of U.S. equity strategy. She put out her 2021 forecast today. Lori, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Um, in terms of what the market is priced in, isn't this bounce, isn't this rise to new records uh, for the major indices, isn't this already pricing in more stimulus to come? I mean, what else is there? <laughs> Well, look, I, I do think that we've priced in a lot of good news at this point. Um, to me, this is echoing what we saw back in 2018 when people got really excited about uh, tax cuts. And we, we saw markets kind of get overvalued, get crowded at the beginning of the year. And we had a little sell off in January. Um, I do think that we have risk of a period of consolidation. And to be honest, that is absolutely normal for what we see in recovery trades. The question is, what do you do if the market pulls back 5, 10, 15% in here? Um, and ultimately, we think that we've seen the major lows in this cycle. We think that the path to economic recovery um, may be a bumpy one. I'm sensing a decent amount of, uh, you know, sort of concern about the virus backdrop in my conversations today. But ultimately, we think we're climbing out of the hole, that that path may have some potholes, but it's intact. And so we'd be using that weakness as a buying opportunity. And ultimately, we do have hope that the Biden administration will uh, get this virus under control. Yeah. Yeah, 4,100, by the way, is your year-end price target for the S&P 500. So you're very bullish on the year, Lori. At the same time, I mean, in terms of markets anticipating things, at what point do you think the market anticipates higher taxes? And does that, you know, cause the market to, to stutter, um, you know, at the thought of that? Look, that's one of the big risks, I think, in the back half of the year is what happens with corporate tax policy. We did a survey of our analysts um, and asked them in their own outlook from sort of a boots on the ground assessment, what did they think about policy and what issues were they worried about? And across all sectors, corporate taxes was the big issue. Um, I don't think that markets are going to price that in yet. I think we need to see what the details are if we do get something. My assumption is that it won't be going back to where we were before, that you might end up having um, something of an increase to help offset the spending on some of the initiatives that are coming up. And maybe uh, we won't quite get the worst case scenario investors could be anticipating. But I do think it could lead to some gyrations in the back half of the year. So we've got to watch it. The one thing you do need to know, though, is it affects most sectors. The second thing you need to know is it's it's, it's something it, that kind of goes, it's a, it's a piece of the cake mix. Um, it's not the only thing. And there's a lot of stimulus coming from the Biden administration. So it's an offset to some of that. On balance, I think the Biden administration is going to be net stimulative. Um, and that won't really derail it. Lori, Tim mentioned 1.4% being a level in the 10-year. I happen to th I agree with Tim. But is there a level where um, rates going higher are no longer bullish for the equity market? My sense is it's probably right around there, but I'm interested in your thoughts. You know, I, we get asked that question a lot. And in some of our modeling, when we look at the, the relationship between the dividend yield and the 10-year yield, um, what we find is that you have to get to sort of 3% or higher somewhere in there to really get worried if you do kind of back tests and modeling. Um, but I think, to be honest, it's not really about a level of rates. I think it's about the speed at which rates move up. I think the markets can handle a gentle increase in yield, but it, it's really when it starts uh, to spike suddenly and behaviors have to be adjusted, that it's a problem for markets. So there's there's kind of no right, magic Lori, number thank you, Lori right now that spooks me. We've got some breaking news. We want to go straight to the White House where President Biden is signing his first executive orders. Let's uh, listen in. First of many conditions we're going to have in here. And I thought with the state of the nation today is no time to waste, get to work immediately. As we've indicated earlier, we're going to be signing a number of ex executive orders over the next uh, 
several days a week, and I'm going to start today. Uh, the compounding crisis of COVID, COVID-19, along with the economic crisis following that, and the climate crisis, and racial equity issues, and, you know, uh, some of the executive actions I'm going to sign today are going to help change the course of the COVID crisis, and we're going to combat climate change in a way that we haven't done so far and advance racial equity and support other underserved communities. We're going to rebuild our economy as well. And these are just all starting points. Uh, and uh, we're going to, in the process of rebuilding the economy, do what I said throughout the campaign and while running uh, that uh, rebuild the backbone of the country, no class. And so there's going to be a lot of focus on that. And uh, I think some of the things we're going to be doing are going to be are bold and vital. And, uh, there's no time to start like today. So uh, what I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm proud of today's executive actions. Uh, I'm going to start by keeping the promises I made to the American people. Long way to go. These are just executive actions. Uh, they are important, but we're going to need legislation for a lot of the things we're going to do. And the first order I'm going to be signing here is relates to uh, um, COVID and uh, it's requiring, as I said all along, um, where, where I have authority, mandating masks be worn, social distancing be kept on federal property and interstate commerce, etc. So this is the first one I'm signing. And the second one I'm signing here is the uh, support for uh, underserved communities. Uh, and we're going to already, we have a uh, going to make sure we have uh, some bedrock uh, equity, equality as it relates to how we treat people and health care and other things. Uh, and you can, we'll give you copies of these executive orders. And the third that I'm going to sign, and that's what I'm going to do while you're all here, is uh, the commitment I made that we're going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord uh, as, of, uh, as of today. The president uh, wrote a very generous letter. I have it's because it was private. I will uh, not talk about it until I talk to him. But uh, it was generous. President Joe Biden signing his first executive orders as president. Let's get to Kayla Tausche in Washington. First order of business, a mask mandate, Kayla. And notably, the president, I almost called him the president-elect again. I'm so used to doing that, Melissa. President Biden wearing a mask himself, despite the fact that he himself has received both doses of the COVID vaccine, talking about how important it is to get the pandemic under control and really illustrative that that is the first one out of the 15 that you saw stacked on the side of his desk, almost like restaurant menus, one after the other that he was going to be signing, uh, but that that was the most important that he wanted to sign. 
fine. He also made reference to the rejoining of the Paris Climate Agreement and the importance of uh, showing that leadership on the world stage. And, and on that note, Melissa, almost concurrently with that video coming in, we received a statement from uh, former Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson. Of course, he was uh, a Treasury Secretary in a Republican administration, but he uh, praised the uh, decision to rejoin the agreement, saying that climate change is the most certain threat to our planet, our people, and their livelihoods. And he says that he commends the administration uh, for leadership and wisdom in making climate change a priority for his administration. So certainly uh, not all of the uh, responses from the other side of the aisle on the climate issues have been negative. One, for example, from Paulson, uh, very positive. And then you heard at the end of that pool spray when reporters tried to ask him about President Trump's letter that he left behind. We still don't know the contents of that letter. And reporters asked about what it said, what President Trump uh, left as a message for his successor. And President Biden said that he wanted wanted to discuss it with President Trump first before sharing the contents more widely. Melissa. All right. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche in Washington. A couple of messages coming out of the Oval Office tonight from President Biden in what he chooses to sign first as president. First of all, that uh, putting the pandemic behind the country is the first order of business. And second, that the environment is going to take center stage. So that's a green light, I would imagine, Guy, for a lot of the environmental investing that we've seen, um, the favoritism towards green trades, the so-called green trades like solar and EVs. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, think about how those stocks have been just incredible over the last few months. But I will look tomorrow over the next couple of weeks to see how the energy trade, which also has been uh, fantastic over the last few months, Tim can speak to that, how that's going to do. You know, if the energy trade hangs in there over the next few days, I think that sort of tells you all you need to know in terms of where these stocks are going. And we've talked about ExxonMobil off that 31 low. The levered energy plays have been fantastic over the last few months. That, to me, is going to be what's going to be interesting over the next week or so. Yeah, and we'll talk to Paul Sankey later on about the entire energy trade, whether it be big oil or some of the alternatives, um, Tim. But what do you think the market takes away from, from what President Biden chose to tackle first as president? Well, look, let, let's be clear. I mean, think about some of the statements out of Europe in the last couple of days, whether it's uh, Angela Merkel or, you know, pointing to the virus as being the number one thing and, 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 and bolting down e even more. I, I'm not sure that that's the plan here, but the, the message is uh, we need to get control of the virus so that the economy can return to normal. And, and I think that there's, you know, some sense that ultimately uh, the I certainly hope that, you know, the policy approach to this is going to be a little different than 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 what we've seen uh, and, and that we have a case where the, the economy is ultimately the beneficiary. So we've had multiple moments in the market over the last nine months where we've had to assess uh, the impact of the virus. And although markets have started to move forward, even with difficult move, uh, difficult news on various variations to the virus, um, it, you know, it's a market friendly message. Mm -hmm. When, when you're going right after the virus and containment, uh, to me, which is what, what he said there. Yeah, containment as well as the deployment of the vaccine. And we already know that Amazon has reached out to the Biden administration, offering its help, its expertise and logistics uh, in, in getting that vaccine to citizens. Steve Grass, I would, I would think that this is a huge um, nod to the reopening trade. Yeah, and, and that's the key is that uh, masks, uh, you know, that, that's one agenda for the executive order, but the country needs a real rollout for vaccines. 
And that's the key that's going to put this, uh, this virus uh, stop dead in its tracks. So that's what we're waiting on. We need uh, the death toll and the cases to drop. And I do think that you're starting to see some cresting uh, there, or, or at least when you dig through the numbers, maybe a little flattening there. And if you, got, if you start to see, I think President Biden's agenda is for a million doses by June. I think that was the number. And Dr. Fauci said that that was reasonable. I think that is what people will eye, eye, uh, eye on and, and mm-hmm. key 100 million doses. Sorry, Melissa, by June. That will really tip the scales and that will get people's confidence back. And that reopening trade will be on target if he can get to that number. Yeah. And if he is able to enlist the support of of logistics experts like an Amazon, which can get a a box of paper clips and a a pot of yogurt to me in a single day or less, Karen Byerman, I would think and you can put your trader cap on and you can put your investor cap on. and, And I know you've talked about Delta's valuation of being too expensive but in light of in light of of President Biden going after the pandemic so aggressively um, as his first order of business, do you think maybe this is a trade? I'm sorry. Did you say Delta's valuation? Yes. Um, uh, actually, no. I don't think it's a trade. I look; it's already traded up so much, right? And I I care about the balance sheet, which obviously is really stretched. Also, remember they issued so many more new shares. So even though the stock price, right, has a way to go to get back to where it was, the market value doesn't have as far to go. So I, I, I'm, I, I'm very optimistic on the reopen trade. I agree with everything everybody else was saying about this is where mm-hmm. he has to focus first. It's really important. And the other thing is stimulus, but obviously he can't do that by executive order. He needs uh, everybody's help to do yeah. that. Congress. All right. We've got continuing coverage of the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden, Jr. Do not miss a special 90 minute edition of the news with Shepard Smith that starts tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time. That will be followed by a special celebrating America that will air right here on CNBC. Coming up, one gaming stock getting a big boost today as analysts go all in on the name. We'll tell you who uh, they're saying could be a royal flush. And later, more on the energy reaction to President Biden's new executive action on the climate. You'll hear from one top energy analyst who says Biden could be a boost for big energy. We'll tell you how to trade it when Fast Money returns. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Joe Biden officially sworn in as a 46th president of the United States today. And that got us thinking, new president, new portfolio. So our traders have each come up with the two to three names they're betting on under Biden. So Steve Grosso, kick us off. Right. So let's just rip down. You've heard me say these names before. It's Trinseo, TSE, Westrock, WRK, and Olin Corp, O-L-N. This hinges on the growth to value rotation. It hinges on the trade war becoming less intense. And it also hinges on accelerating fundamentals. All these three companies have accelerating fundamentals. This is the reopening trade. This is about higher rates. They don't have to scream higher, uh, but rates on a percentage basis have jumped 
about 114% since a couple of months ago. That's enough to keep this trade going in my, in my mind, Melissa. If it were President Trump still in office, Steve Grasso, would those names have changed? Because you were long those uh, names yes, during I, the Trump presidency. Uh, yes, I was long those names going into the election because the, the lower Trump went in the polls the, and the higher Biden went, the higher there was the odds on a rotation trade. So President Trump sat on rates for, uh, for his whole four years and they didn't go anywhere. So they pushed people into, uh, out into the risk curve, I should say. Lower rates, you push them into technology stocks. And now with uh, President Biden, you have the potential for rates to move higher. And that's what happened going into the election because it was all but done that Biden was going to win. That's when you saw value actually start to tick up. Trinseo <laughs> is up 130%. Olin is up 200%. WRK is up 60%. And we're still in the early innings since September. All right. Karen, what's your Biden portfolio? Well, it's a, it's a Biden acronym. It's BUT. <laughs> D-U-T. And uh, it's XLF, which is banks, for the reasons, you know, rates going higher. And we haven't really seen that net interest margin as positive as I think it will become. And it's also the economy improving. That's good for banks. If they can increase their loan, um, the, the amount of loans that they make, that's a good spread for them as well. So that's the B, is banks. Um, you, United Rental, I think with this new administration and the House and Senate both being blue that an infrastructure bill has a higher chance than it's had in a while. So United Rental would be squarely in the crosshairs in a good way of an infrastructure bill. And then um, the last one is really a reopen trade. TJX, of all the retailers, it really doesn't lend itself to a uh, online business the way some of them have been able to shift. And so when <clears throat> the reopen trade happens, I think the shift back to in-store TJX will be huge. So. That is my butt trade. Uh, it's hard to be a maximista um, and not go through the racks yourself. I, I like how Karen chose to go butt instead of tub. That maybe opened her interpretation. Uh, Guy, what do you make of, the, of this basket? Yeah, you're leading me down the primrose path, so I'm not even going to go near that. But listen, I think Karen's clearly onto something. I mean, TJ Maxx is one of those stories that just seems to work in almost every environment. So. You know, I think uh, acronym or whatever you want to call it, notwithstanding, I, I think Karen is on to something with. I, I say, you're going to make me say it. I was going to say with her, and then, it, and then I thought I better not say that. So I'm just, I'm just going to avoid it. With her basket of stocks. Uh, Tim, what is, what is exactly. your portfolio? Exactly, with her basket of stocks. <laughs> it's always tough to follow, but, um, but I'm going to try. <laughs> so, look, the three, the three sectors are, are cannabis, uh, online sports betting and emerging markets. And these are all areas that I think benefit from the Biden presidency uh, and trades that have been picking up momentum going into this actuality today. So cannabis, we know the story of the Georgia runoffs. It's been a 20 percent, 25 percent move for the sector. My pick there is actually GW Pharma, one of the largest plays in my in my ETF because it's actually underperformed a bit. They just gave an announcement on Epidiolex pre-release numbers. Incredibly strong story, incredibly strong franchise. Uh, online sports betting, uh, the fiscal hole created by fiscal policy uh, around the country and the result of COVID dynamics uh, mean that online sports betting is off and running and, and it's not going to plug all the holes, but they're sure going to try uh, this and cannabis, certainly get that fiscal nod. Um, and the, the play there is DraftKings. We've talked about it. The valuation is difficult. 
but a market share story and a leader uh, and the presumption that they will get X percent of that market share as this grows, uh, no question. And then emerging markets. Look, it's, it's, you know, we are the world, by the way, uh, almost 35 years ago to the day was recorded, which is, I know, very exciting for Guy Adami. Um, the, the emerging market story finally broke out after 2007 highs had been, uh, you know, essentially a wall of resistance for a long time. Lower dollar, uh, lower interest rates, reacceleration of the global economy, and maybe uh, a little bit more cooperation. But that's not really the trade here. The trade is that emerging markets are cheap to themselves, and this trade is finally breaking out after a decade. And I think you stay there. 35-year anniversary of We Are the World being recorded. That's the kind of quality information you only get here on Fast Money on CNBC. <laughs> That's what we do here. Yeah, exactly. Guy, what's your basket of stocks? Well, before I get to my basket, I will say my upper register is still as flawless as it was 35 years ago. But I will spare you uh, singing any of the verses of that song. And I'm with Tim on DraftKings. If you notice, it closed above uh, that 52 level. I think it was 52 where they priced that 32 million share secondary so that stock's traded really well despite that. But my basket are basically two names. And, but, and to answer the question you asked, Steve, they worked under the Trump administration. I think they're going to continue to work maybe faster now. But the first is the IBB, the uh, biotech ETF, which today made another all-time high. Seemingly every day continues to grind higher. And I think you're going to see maybe a further push into the biotech space over the, in the next four years. And the other name is something we've talked about since the spring when it was around $132 or so, and that's Caterpillar. Now, people will say, wait a second, City downgraded the stock today, and they did, but they also raised their price target from 175 to 205 I think that's going to wind up being light in terms of price target they report at the end of the month. Valuation is reasonable, actually, and I think you're going to see some big numbers out of Cat on January 29th. So Cat in earnings at the end of the month and stay with the IBB, which has been a monster uh, all year or all of last year into this year. Coming up, we'll break down what those just signed executive orders mean for the energy sector. That trades ahead. And later, we're gearing up for Intel's earnings. The stock's surging since CEO Bob Swan announced he is stepping down. Will the big move continue into tomorrow's results? We'll have your setup when Fast Money comes right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. President Joe Biden already implementing new energy uh, policies on his first day in office, signing executive orders to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord and revoking the permit for the Keystone Pipeline. So what could this mean for the long beaten down energy sector? Our next guest says there's actually still a bull case for big oil as we get into the new year. Let's bring in Paul Sankey of Sankey Research. Paul, great to have you with us. Hey, how are you? Good. We talked about how a Biden administration could be bullish for big oil. Can we have a scenario under one single administration where big oil benefits, but also alternative benefits? That's certainly the way the market's playing it right now. As you know, we've seen very good performance year to date. OK, not many days, but nevertheless, uh, the, the oils have been the strongest sector in the market pretty much. And then, of course, you've seen huge performance from the solar names, the hydrogen names, EV electric vehicles. So at the moment, everything's working in the same direction. I tend to think the latter are, are basically in a bubble. I don't want to fight it. 
uh, but I don't think they'll be valued this way in five years time, particularly not if we're looking at a, an inflation environment and a weak dollar environment. That's really the bull case for oil prices and the oil zoning. Is it a bubble, Paul, though, if there is because you make the point in, in the notes that I've read that there is so much money in this alternative energy trade and not enough places to put that money. And so that's why we've seen huge runs in, let's say, a Tesla, for instance. If that big money still exists and its mandate is to be invested in alternative energy, is, is this really a bubble? Is this a trade that can actually just keep working? Yeah, I mean, look, think about the Internet bubble. The market was brilliant at identifying the future of the Internet as being an absolutely enormous story. And you could have bought Amazon at the top of the Internet bubble and made a lot of money. The same applies to Apple or Microsoft. But at the same time, obviously, you had your pets.com. For some reason, it's the one that everyone always remembers. But there was a lot of them that were absolutely worthless. And that's because Google and Facebook and Netflix didn't exist at the time. So, you know, I think there will be some remaining winners from the top of this bubble, but there'll be a lot of them that go to zero. And there'll be a next generation of companies that, that really come in behind. And, and what we're really doing is pre-financing this shift. But the next 10 years, reality will kick in. And that reality is that we still use a ton of oil, 100 million barrels a day of oil, we expect by the, by the end of this year. And really hydrogen is not happening at all. Hey, Paul, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Uh, why, why does it take uh, the street or energy analysts uh, to have a 40% move in the XLF uh, outperforming the S&P to finally upgrade energy and, and say this is not just a trade, but there's a couple big houses that are actually calling this an investment? And it's, it's puzzling to me why this happens in general. But what is the investment thesis? Yeah, I remember one of my bosses asking me, Paul, how can you always be so wrong on oil? And I said to him, I'm just less wrong, mate. Uh, but the other point that he, co <laughs> he covered transport. And I said to him, you know, since when covering transport, do the Iranians show up in the middle of the night and move all the train tracks? And one of the things we had this year, which was completely a surprise, was Saudi unilaterally, which they haven't done for many years, saying that they would cut a million barrels a day of production right as we were facing this sort of semi-COVID resurgence or, or COVID hanging on longer than we had hoped, the Saudis stepped in and really changed, you know, added five plus dollars to the barrel of oil. So we just get those external factors. And that's a negative, as you know, for the stocks. People don't like that volatility. But the reality is, I think people do see a genuine tightening occurring in the market, a genuine new capital discipline and, and better strategy from the US EMPs, and really just needed that confirmation that we've got of near-term oil prices going up. The problem is the back, back end of the curve, five-year forward type prices, hasn't really gone up at all. So it'll be interesting to see if, if we get a, a genuine follow-through from this early start to the year, which has been so positive. So, Paul, uh, this is Steve. Quick question for you. So the Keystone Pipeline seems more like a symbolic gesture on President Biden's behalf. It seems like that was telegraphed to the energy space. Canada's supply is not increasing. They're building other pipelines. Uh, basically, the Wall Street Journal said that they're building a $1.7 billion pipeline, or they plan to build one, and it's going to be a clean pipeline. Should we be afraid of the rhetoric or just invest right through it? We're not, we're not sure. We think that Biden is going to be pretty rational. Uh, he comes from a refining state, Delaware. There are union issues, even related to the Keystone XL. And while we think there'll be a lot of rhetoric, like rejoining the Paris Accord, 
it actually doesn't make any difference in terms of the reality of you know the next five to ten years. As you know, the Keystone XL pipeline wasn't needed anymore anyway, basically. Uh, so it was totally a symbolic gesture. It might even be that it's a stalking horse for them to let the, the DAPL, the Dakota Access, which is more important, far more important in real terms, that might be a way for them to actually let that let that keep going. We'll see. I think that Biden's going to be pretty reasonable in terms of keeping the U.S. economy going um, and not going too far down the line of, of you know, turning back everything, which DAPL being an operating pipeline, uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline I'm talking about, of course, um, you know, that is currently operating. And to start turning back existing operating pipelines would be a, a, a significant negative. And I, I just think that economically there's an awareness in the Biden administration that mm-hmm. The economy is a big issue here, and if you start hurting the U.S. oil and gas industry too much, it's it's not going to serve you well at all. And I'm hopeful that this is going to be a pretty rational balance, and that's one of the reasons why we like the oils here. Actually, we we think that the the fears of of things going really bad are overblown, and in fact, the outlook is pretty strong here because what we've seen in COVID is demand for oil is structurally very strong. That's what COVID has proven to us. Mm-hmm. Once we get through it, we could see really strong oil demand over the next two, three, four, five years. Paul, during a past appearance, uh, you made a what some might call a controversial um, a trade, a call for a trade, which was long Exxon, short Apple. And on a relative basis, that trade has worked since August 25th, which is when you made that call. Exxon is up 17 percent and Apple is up only 5 percent. Um, would you stick with this trade or are, is there another pair trade that you would like to put in place or call for at this point, especially um, given the comparison of Pets.com and to some of the solar names and, and alternative names right now? No way. I retire. No, I'm kidding. The, um, yeah, I was thinking about this. I thought Tim Seymour would bring it up, actually. But, um, you know, I'm the analyst that tagged, I tagged the OG, the apple of oil. Uh, because of its technology. And uh, so I was thinking, how can I uh, get another trade like this going? So let's go long EOG, short Tesla. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. It's documented. <laughs> Paul's thinking long And by EOG, the way, the other trade, Tesla. if you remember, was uh-huh. a five-year trade. We'll do it on a one-year view. Okay. All right. <laughs> one-year view deal. Paul, thank you. Good to see you. Paul Sankey of Sankey Research. Guy, do you like that trade? Hi. Hi. It's interesting. You know, I remember when he said it. And actually, if you go back, we, we, we talked about it. Paul said it's probably not right here where you're buying Exxon. And then we had a whole conversation about where it could potentially trade down to. And for you technicians out there, 31 and a half, huge double bottom. Think about it. Exxon is up almost 60 percent since the November low, which is staggering. So Paul's being humble here. He actually sort of he gave a little bit, a bit of mitigation and said it probably has a little more room to the downside. So spot on. I think Exxon trades up to 53, which was the June high. You had three analysts last week. I think it was J.P. Morgan, Barclays, and I think Goldman Sachs all upgraded the name to Tim's point really late to the dance. But I do think it continues to rally into earnings, I believe, on February 2nd. So good for Paul Sankey. And I could listen to him read the phone book, by the way. <laughs> Coming up, something for that, about that accent, right? Coming up, we're gearing up for Intel earnings out tomorrow after the bell. What you should expect and how to trade it. Welcome back to Pass Money. Check out the move in shares of Alibaba up 5.5% as founder Jack Ma resurfaces after months of laying low. So he appears very briefly in a video, Karen, and all of a sudden they're out of the doghouse. How do you feel about Baba now? Yeah. 
Well, I'm long. I've been long. I was long. I didn't add when it traded down to, I think, somewhere in the low 200-something. I would know the actual low. But I like it. It's sort of ridiculous that that less than one minute video was worth $30 billion. I actually tweeted his uh, Billie Jean video from 2017, which who knows what that could be worth if he did that now. But I think it was overdone to the downside. Some of the rhetoric around China has sort of calmed down with the Biden administration taking office. Not that I think they're going to go easy on China, but I think that's part of it. And then also remember there was the, the chance of it potentially being delisted, which seems to not be the case. So I like it. I'm long. I'm staying long right here. All right. Well, Intel shares ticked higher today ahead of tomorrow's earnings release. The chipmaker's up more than 10 percent since announcing last week that CEO Bob Swan is stepping down. Let's bring in Bono and Eisen. So, uh, Bono, what's the setup here? Hey, thanks, Mel. So taking a look, uh, calls outpace puts 1.7 to 1, almost 2 to 1. Take it a step further and look at the implied volatility. Options are implying a 6% move in either direction between now and Friday. Compare that to about a 9% average move over the last four quarters, much more in line with what we've seen over about eight fiscal quarters. And the trade that really jumped out to me, despite the call volume, about 3,000 of the Jan 22 weekly 56 puts were bought for 53 cents putting your break even at 55.47. The stock has bounced back quite aggressively recently, and traders are betting that there might be a pullback into and coming out of earnings. All right. Um, Guy Dami, there aren't too many mysteries when it comes to the quarter since Intel pre-released at the time that it announced that Swan was stepping down. Um, so what mm-hmm. are you looking for out of the, uh, out of the quarter? Well, first of all, kudos to Dan Nathan, who's been on top of this for a while. And obviously, the activist uh, interest in the stock has given it some giddy up. I, I think even with the pre-announcement, the quarter is going to be a disaster. Whether or not the stock is indicating that or no remains to be seen. I'm with Bono. And, but what I want to say, and if the icebreaker is still here, I'm not familiar with the TikTok, Melissa. Maybe you are. I'm probably not the right demographic. But for you that are not following Bono and Eisen on Twitter, you should do it because he did one of those TikToks with this or that, which is just amazing. It's worth the price of admission, I got to tell you. And you know what? It's free on Twitter. It was very good. We might have to look into playing this or that instead of would you rather on fast. Um, but in terms of Intel's trade, <laughs> Tim, what are you looking for? <laughs> yeah, look, let me let me take another shot at this. Sorry, guy. Um, I think data center is very important because that was actually the strength that was the weakness last quarter. So we're going to be watching that. I, I think a, a little bit more insight into outsourcing, uh, you know, three nanometer, five nanometer, uh, that which has been Taiwan Semi's explosion gain, by the way. Um, for a stock that's so beleaguered, it's been one of the best performing uh, mega cap tech stocks in the last month. Um, I think you have to be careful into earnings after this big rebound. Uh, having said that, I am long Intel, and I think long term the future is going to be okay. Bonwin, thank you. Good to see you. Bonwin Eisen. For more options action, catch a full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trades. Go around the horn, Tim. Mentioned GW Pharma earlier, a big position in my ETF. Epidiolex, major numbers and, and, and a lot of levers to pull for this stock. Uh, and on breakout level around 140. Steve Grasso. Westrock, WRK, earnings coming up, and I think they're going to continue stronger. I'm still long with stop, stock, WRK. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, Whirlpool, I like the valuation. I still think there's room in the housing trade. I think they report a week from today, WHR. 
Guy Adami. Steve gave you a rock, I'll give you a stone. Blackstone into earnings in about a week or so, <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Fast to see you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.